This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my co-host, Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? I was about to call you the delightful little snack, Brie Tucker. Because ah. <laughs> you called yourself a dessert. But that episode is not airing until October, so it's like we see into the future. There you go, yes. <laughs> Listen for the Easter egg of the episode where Bree is obsessed with sugar. Bree is obsessed with sugar, yeah. <laughs> but we, we have a great discussion today for y'all. It is with our friend Devorah Heitner, who is now a two-timer here on the No Guilt Mom podcast. But if you track your kids with Life360, if you check their grades online, and if you post pictures of them on social media. This is the episode for you. She has just released a new book, Growing Up in Public, and Dora Heitner has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and CNN Opinion. She has a PhD in media technology and society from Northwestern University and is taught at DePaul and Northwestern. She's delighted to be raising her own teenager, and she lives with her family in Chicago. We hope you enjoy our episode with Devorah. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible, and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Deborah. We're thrilled to have you back. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be back. I love it when we have a two-timer on. Two-timer. We have to use the two-timer. 
We keep saying it. I'm not going to get around to getting jackets made because I just think that's too much for me. But I can make a sticker. I'm going to make a I'm a two-time podcast sticker. We are big fans of sticker over here. It's definitely something positive there that you need to have. So, Devorah, you have a new book coming out. And it starts with parents oversharing about their kids online and tracking their kids online and Bree and I are like oh my gosh we have so much to talk about here so can you give us the rundown of what you're seeing in terms of parents oversharing about their kids online well I think parents feel like we have to share like we're supposed to because everybody else is doing it and it feels like if other folks are doing it are we saying we don't love our kids that we're not proud of them that we don't think they're awesome or adorable so it's tricky because there's like cultural pressures to do it But I think our kids definitely, when they're older, don't love it. And sometimes they discover that their parents have been sharing their whole lives and they can freak out. So I interviewed a few kids like that for my book, Growing Up in Public, where teenagers kind of got on their parents' social and realized how much sharing had been happening. And then there are other kids who kind of like it too much. And they're like, mom, share my gymnastics routine and let's see how many likes we get. And that concerns me as well. So I think what we want to do is have a policy for kids who are old enough to consent where we're asking permission. And for younger kids like toddlers, preschoolers, I would just, you know, if in doubt, don't share it out. If they're in their underpants, don't share it out. If you think there's any point where they'll be as a self-conscious teenager, sorry, you've shared it or that you will, or they might get mad at you later. So imagine like their most self-conscious age of like 12, 13, you know, how they're going to feel about it. And there's nothing you would share that you you probably wouldn't share anything that would like undermine their presidential run. But you got to remember, people have got their like fourth grade street rep, too. And maybe those footy pajamas don't fit in or maybe playing at home with Legos, even in sixth or seventh grade, even though it's still totally cool. And hey, I know adults who like their Legos, but maybe in middle school, that's not a picture that you want your classmates to see. So it's not even something like underwear may be more obvious. We know that could be embarrassing, but there might be other things where it's like, That's not the public image you want outside of your house. I have examples of this that I could share with you because I have one of each child. I have one child who's like, yes, post me like this. And I have another child who he wants stuff online, but he wants it to be heavily controlled by him. So like his birthday was recently. He wanted to pick the pictures I shared on Facebook along with what I said about it. And that is the only way I was allowed to post anything under his tight control. Right. He's like, look through my PR team. Everything must be vetted. Exactly. Which I'm hearing from you is very healthy and him like telling exactly what he wants of him out there. Well, and I think it shows that he understands that social media is a performance, which it is. And he may be actually less vulnerable to feeling like everyone else's posts exactly represent their true life. And everyone's always on the mountaintop with their hair looking perfect. Yeah, it's funny because he has said he has no interest in social media whatsoever. Now he's 10, but also he's more interested in gaming and stuff. So he probably does see it as a performance and something to be highly curated. But that's got to be a tightrope for you. And I'm curious to worry about your input on this that I'm going to throw out there. In this scenario, Joanne, part of your career is that you have to have social media and that you have to share parts of your life, especially parts of your life as a mother and part of a family. 
So that does make it kind of, I mean, I'm not saying that it makes it impossible by any means, but it does make it more tricky than the average Joe. So I have a policy of how I do this. And I talk to my kids a lot about this too. Nothing goes out about them without their consent. If I post a picture about them or a funny video, you better believe I've gotten their permission before I put it on there. My son putting on sunglasses and dancing around to Rick Astley's song. He's like, yep, post that one, post that one. And in terms of family stuff and like parenting, I never discuss their things. I always discuss my reaction to behavior, if that makes sense, like behavior in a general sense. And then my reaction and how I change myself and my thing, if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, other parents, Devorah, where like they're posting online and they're posting how they're proud of their kids. I could definitely say that as a parent, I see that and I'm like, am I not proud of you? Like, am I not posting enough? So that's a real fear. But then they're also, I mean, because so much of the work of parenting is invisible and especially I'm going to say motherhood, but in general, parenting is invisible. And because parents have been so alone in the last few years and so isolated, I think there's a lot of urge to post to like make visible all the work we put into, you know, like when your kid wins that gymnastics tournament, guess who drove them to practice at 6 a.m. every day, you know? So, I mean, I think we're also in some ways, we're not just bragging on our kids, but we're kind of subtly, but, you know, taking some credit and saying like, hey, I'm a really good parent. And I think it gets really tricky because I totally understand why people crave that kind of validation in a society that really under looks at what parents do. And again, especially mothers really doesn't pay attention to and celebrate all the work that we put into our families. But I think it gets tricky for our kids because A, they're getting so much attention for one thing. And maybe that's not a thing they always want to be known for. Or what if they want to quit gymnastics as having all those routines on, you know, mom's Facebook or Instagram put additional pressure on them. And it can make other parents in the community feel a little bit, you know, it's complicated, right? And and I think we all need to check in with our own competitive nature and our own feelings of left at, leftness. You know, if if you have a kid who has struggled to go to sleepaway camp and you're watching everyone say sleepaway camp is the best and my kid's doing so great, or you're watching everyone on vacation and that's not a financial or you know time reality for your family right now, it can be really painful. And I think sometimes we just need to curate our feeds, take a break from social media. But I also think that at least we can try to not consistently overpost, you know, just like achievement kinds of posts that or posts where we're complaining about our kids. Again, I think we do that out of a sense of humility and seeking community, but there may be other ways to talk about behaviors that are challenging, situations that were challenging. And again, for you as someone who is coaching folks in this field, I think it is a little different, but even so, I think there are situations that you probably keep private or talk about or anonymize in some way. Or, you know, I know in the book, I offered people a lot of different anonymity and change details. And I think there are ways to do that so that your kids are not subject to the scrutiny of, oh, you had a meltdown at McDonald's. You know, that's not really anybody's business at a certain point. Right. And we wouldn't want like if I had a meltdown at the airport, missing my flight and started to cry, I wouldn't want to be videotaped and shared. So what do you think would be a good piece of advice to somebody that's now going, oh, I probably should go back and look at my social media and like involve my kids? Is it just starting that conversation of just being like, hey, my lovely preteen, come over here and let me show you the world of Facebook. I'm going to let, let you see what I've had on here since you were born. You really want to do a pre-edit before you even sit down with them and you can make some photos go on private. I definitely did that when my kid got more invested. And if you look at me on Instagram, you'll be like, wait, she has a kid. I mean, my kid doesn't let me post him at all. 
So, but even on Facebook where I've been for longer and I did post when he was younger, I've gone back and set some photos to private or taken them down. So you can definitely do that. And the challenge is we default to the easiest sharing and the easiest public album. And we think about the grandparents or a set group of people. We're not thinking about the wider audience. So a huge thing we can do is just only share within the family, either via text or I make a calendar every year for the grandparents. And my kid's very private, doesn't love to be photographed. So if I am going to take a picture, I'll be like, okay, we need 12 for the grandparents for the calendar. You know, that's what we need. Like once you get your 12 and think about were there even 12 pictures of you in a year as a kid? Like I have certainly years from my junior high where I might have only had a school photo and like a Hanukkah picture or a birthday picture. So even 12 a year, which seems like so little compared to what a lot of people will post 12 from every event. But 12 a year is still way more instances of different situations for your kid being photographed than you were photographed. So your kid is photographed so much more. And I I mean, I love having photos that are real, you know, that are not the ugly school photos that we all had that our parents had the wallet size of. But I do think there are times where we also want to just enjoy the moment with our families on vacation or at home and not be getting out our phones and taking a picture. So and, and there's actually research we remember things better when we don't photograph them sometimes. So if you're thinking this is a peak moment, I want to remember it, maybe just encode it into your head. That's funny because there are a lot of instances growing up where <laughs> it was just how my family was. My dad is the one who had three cameras on vacations and wanted to capture every single photo and so like the photos that I take now of my kids I always compare to my childhood I'm like well I don't we don't do that we don't make you pose for the photo and take it with three separate cameras just to make sure we got it and to make sure that the roll of film was okay so that that's one thing I could say but I I never thought of that before that yeah there were not that many pictures of me growing up at every stage and age I mean my kids probably have pictures of every day of their life in some extent on some device and even even in terms of body image what I learned talking to Stephanie Zerwas who's an expert on preventing eating disorders and treating them is that although most kids thankfully will not develop an eating disorder we're all living in a culture where there are a lot of body image issues And it's important to recognize that, especially in the years where kids really's bodies change a lot and they need to gain a lot of weight going through puberty and their body's going to change very quickly. We may want to take more face pictures and not as many full body pictures in those years, especially for sharing, because we don't want to give our kids like an archive of things to ruminate over with their bodies. And so like extensively documenting our kids, especially again, full body photos or like bathing suit photos and that kind of thing in those years. It may be better not to because, again, we don't have that kind of data for ourselves and it may not be a great thing for some kids. And again, she's talking you know, from her population that she's working with, many of whom are folks with EDs, but she's seeing them you know, really ruminate over those photos. So it may just be a good precaution for everyone, even if you're not super concerned about that risk right now, to just go with a less is more approach, especially in the puberty years, which also are the years when most kids want more privacy anyway would prefer to have a little more control over what you share. I mean, the few photos that exist for me from the puberty years, I wish they didn't when I had them because I did. I ruminated over those body photos. You bring up an excellent point. There is such shame in seeing how you are and comparing yourself to other people like that at that age when everything's changing. At the same time, when I see my own daughter go through those things, I wish I had more of those photos to show her and be like, hey, you're not alone here here you go. Like you can, you can take the stack of my photos right here, just as a little consolation, just to say like, it's not okay, but know that I I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. Just to say that my pain and suffering 
say that my pain and suffering was worth something. Here you go. Yeah, that really gets misconstrued fast. I really liked Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, because so many media representations of teenagers, they have like 30-year-olds, you know, with perfect skin playing teenagers. And I mean, the, the kids that got cast in Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, were still quite cute and adorable and definitely like more groomed than your average 11-year-old going to school every day for sure. But they still looked like they were 11, you know, which was nice because I think any kind of realistic representations when we see tweens or teens that actually look like kids and teens do... I really liked the international show Scum, which had actors, but also some like newer actors. And one of the comments people said is, oh, some of those actors had acne, right? They look like teenagers. They don't look perfect. And they don't look 30, like the whole since Beverly Hills 90210 or, you know, the OC or Gossip Girl. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous watching these shows and movies that have teens. And you're just like, holy crap, that person was 28 playing 14. And <laughs> like, it's just no. Just no. Yeah. I mean, that's how it was on Saved by the Bell for us. They were all older than playing high schoolers. Yeah, but I don't think they were that much older. I don't think I don't think it's as common as it is now. I think there's a bigger age difference now. I still think some of the choices are weird on that front, you know, and they'll do different things like have the guys be older and the women be younger. Like there's just weird choices that happen with casting that I find troubling and, and it is not realistic. So anyway, I love I love when I see good representations. I, I loved Miss Marvel as well. Oh, Miss Marvel. Oh my gosh. I could talk for hours on Miss Marvel. She it was such a good show. But we've talked so far about kids seeing multiple photos of themselves from this age and how parents tend to share this on social media. We're gonna take a quick break right now, but when we get back, we are gonna talk about those grades and parents tracking grades. Hey all, it is Joanne and Bree here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. From the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly. I got to say, love the name Max. That's my my puppy dog's <laughs> name. Uh, who have just recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. It actually makes learning pretty cool. 
Yeah. Now I listened to this with my son and it was so fun to listen to. I loved how modern it was with a cool aunt that they really dug and like they dealt with bullies. Uh, My son also enjoyed all the math involved. Like he thought it was really cool. Well, and I have to say, I love anything that brings learning and fun together for kids. I really, really wish that something like this was around for my teens when they were younger. We would have absolutely devoured this on our car trips. It would have been amazing. It's perfect for kids ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Now that we've talked about the photos that exist about kids on social media, let's talk about something else that parents tend to track, which is grades. I remember that sheet of paper on the bulletin board in my 10th grade English class that was associated with my student ID number and how much my grade would jump up and down and up and down. I could not even... Wait, your school did that? Yes. Well, it was student ID. I could not even imagine my parents having access to that. That would drive me insane. What are you seeing? It's a lot of information. And some kids are constantly checking their phone and they have that grading app on their phone. So the kids are also overchecking. It's very clear to me that this is a huge driver of anxiety for those who are doing it. And the thing is, what schools tell me is, oh, there are some parents that don't even know how to log in. And that may be for the better or not, right? But it certainly is true that parents checking every day, every week, kids checking multiple times a day is way too much. And a lot of times the same place you go to for your assignments and all your syllabi and all your information is also the grading app. So kids do need to go in there, but ideally they're not refreshing to check their grades. And I interviewed some ninth grade boys at a boarding school for growing up in public, and they told me their middle schools had grading apps, but this progressive boarding school didn't. And they were like, we have no idea how we're doing. And I was like, yeah, you do. If you walk into French class and if the teacher sounds like she's going wah, 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 and you don't understand anything, you're not doing well. If you understand everything, you're raising your hand, you're answering the questions, you're doing the work, you're getting, you know, you feel like you understand what's going on. You're doing well. Like you have indicators and you're getting graded work back throughout the quarter. You shouldn't be so in the dark. And then they were like, yes, but we could titrate exactly what we need to do to get from an 89 to a 91 if we had the app because it's numerical. And I was like, okay, but that's really turning school into a game. How do kids actually do that? My kids do not do that. Well, I think the whole grading thing, just grades in general, are a huge problem. Because when you mentioned that you can tell how you're doing based on how you feel in the class and if you understand the teacher. I mean, I will have my kids come to me, particularly my high schooler, and she'll be like, yeah, I don't really understand it, but I'm getting an A. Everyone's getting an A. And it's the whole class. Right. I mean, I think there's more of that going on in some schools for sure where maybe there's not deep understanding. But I certainly think that if you're struggling, you probably know you're struggling. Nobody should get a D and be totally stunned, right? Or a C and be like, I had no idea. I thought I was doing great. And that usually indicates maybe there is a problem. And I'm not saying never talk to the teacher. Of course, talk to the teacher if that happens and learn what happened. But what you don't want to do is go to the teacher and be like, I have an 89. What do I need to do to get an A? Tell me exactly what I need to do, exactly what I need to do. Because then that feels like a game that's not about learning the subject matter. That's not about having a relationship with the teacher. It's not about how can I improve my work? It's about gamifying the system. And I mean, I don't love grades anyway, but I think this kind of tracking really undermines parent-teacher, parent-student, and student-teacher relationships. Like the whole triangle gets super messed up because parents have this instant access and they're texting teachers during the school day. They're texting their students. 
never do that. Like seriously, I have very few prescriptive things to say to parents about kids in tech, but I'm going to tell you never text your kid during the school day about a grade. They can't never do that. It's incredibly distracting and disruptive to them. Or don't attack them the second they get in the door. Don't pounce on them and be like, why did you get a C on your physics test? They might not have seen it yet. They need a minute. Like they just walked in the door. Imagine if your spouse greeted you with, why did you get a bad review? Or like, why did that meeting go badly this morning? Because they were like spying on you at work. How would you feel about that? That's a really good point. Like they don't have that much privacy because there are so many, and that's not even their choice. Like we're talking about right now, the great app. They have no choice on the matter of it being used, being out there, their parents having access to it. Because like you said, a lot of times the school expects you to do it. Like on our district, the one where Joanne and my kids go to. You can purposely put away that password though and never use it or at least take it off your phone or your most frequently used device and only check it on your computer, keep the password in a drawer. Like really try not to make a habit of looking at it. Right, right. I guess what I was getting at was that like, you know, again, we can't just get rid of and you're not suggesting this, but we can't just get rid of the app because like, again, for instance, the school district we go to, the fines and class fees and stuff like that are put into that same app. So I have to go in there when I get an email from the school saying you need to pay for your kid's fee for photography class this semester. And I'm definitely the one that's like, my kids, their their dad, because I'm co-parent, their dad will text me, did you see so-and-so has a C in class? And I'm like, nope, it's not midterms yet. So I haven't looked because I can't. It's too much. It makes my anxiety go insane. It's too stressful. And often there's problems with timing where the teacher hasn't posted something yet. Or maybe your child has already worked out an alternative where they missed something and they're going to you know, make it up. But it, right now it's a zero as a placeholder. There's a million things wrong with it. And the behavior apps like Class Dojo are even more stressful for families. I definitely don't need to know that my kid spoke out without raising his hands. Do not text me about that at work. Leave that one in the classroom. But something you mentioned right there is how even with grades, there could be some misinformation that comes from that data where the data doesn't tell the whole story. And I think that really leads in to this last part of our conversation about tracking kids' location and movement. Because both Bree and I are on Life360 with our kids, and we both have very different experiences with it. With my kids, I know that my daughter was on it and tracking all her friends. And so I just asked if I can track her, and she came back, and she's like, as long as I can track you. And so I'm like, okay, let's do this. And then my son is in our circle, too. But my husband refused to be tracked by any of us. So he is not in it, or nor can he track the kids. But just tracking kids online, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? What have you found? I mean, has it ever led to misunderstandings or stress? Or do you feel like it decreases stress? For me, it decreases stress because it's one of the only time I ever track my kids is after school when my son gets on the bus. I just need to know when that bus is on the road so I know when to leave my house. And that's very helpful. And that's the only time I track them. Mine's a little different. So I have Life360, but the way I got it was when I was divorced. My sister and her family was on it, and they included my parents because my parents were getting more elderly, and my my sister just wanted to be able to keep tabs on them. That that sounds really bad. But it was meant in a positive way, and my parents were cool with it. So we'll just start with that. And then when I got divorced, my mom was like, sometimes we don't hear from you for like a week or two, and I know you don't have the kids, and... You're going to be dating. Can you go on this app so we know that if we don't hear from you, we can at least see where your last location was to tell the police where to look for your dead body. My family's a little bit weird with the anxiety. So I'm like, sure. 
sure. Thanks, mom. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. If that makes you feel good, I'll go on the app. And then as uh, my kids got older, I was like, oh, would you guys mind going on the app? So that way also like I know when your dad's leaving his house to bring you guys over or different things like that. So we're all on the app, all within my extended family. So there's 13 of us on this app now. Granted, we should have made a circle. And my daughter does use the app and she's in different circles with her friends. I don't impose on that because she's on this one. But I will say like it decreases anxiety, but that's because I'm an anxious person. And my daughter does spy on me sometimes, mainly because, and Joanne knows this, I'm a constantly late person. So she'll use it to see if I've even left the house. Sometimes (laughs) she'll be like, she'll text me. You were supposed to pick me up at five. It's 4.59 and I see you're still at home. And I'm like, oh, my bad. I'll be right there. So, but that's, that's how our experience has been. My husband is not on it because he doesn't want everybody knowing his location. And it drives me bonkers sometimes because I don't know. I feel like I like to know where people are, but you're right. It is it, to some extent, I guess it is an invasion of privacy, but yeah. So that's how ours, ours has been a little bit more comedic and working well. I think the fact that you've done it with consent in both families is the operative thing, you know, and I do think that teenagers are not in a total position to negotiate consent, but you're also not using it all the time. Like I do think as kids get older, we may not want to track whether they're going to class in college. You know, like I feel like that's invasive. On the other hand, if my kid was driving across the desert to go visit a college, I might find it reassuring. I really think that families need to find their level of comfort. But I have talked to families where it led to more misunderstandings and more anxiety because they felt like, why isn't my kid telling me they're stopping at this person's house? And I'm like, is your 17-year-old allowed to have any relationships with people you don't know? At what point are you going to say it's okay for them to be on their own schedule if they're not skipping school or missing work or whatever it is or like missing things at home that they're supposed to be there for? And, and I think about that. That is a key feature of the autonomy we want young adults to have. We don't want them You know, if you don't want them like living in your basement when they're 25, the work they need to do is like, what will I do if I miss the bus? You know, what what is my plan if my ride doesn't come? How am I going to solve this problem? Or maybe I am in a relationship that I'm not ready to share with my family yet or whatever. And that has to be okay because kids need the space to become their own people. And I what I worry about is overly geo-tracking them, not giving them a space to sort of get out of their own scrapes and, and minor problems. And also feeling like that's a substitute for communicating with them and letting them choose to tell us things, especially also if we make it a condition of financial support. Like I think telling your kid I have to follow you in college or I won't pay your tuition feels a little bit worse. I'm not that far along. That's the thing. It's pretty extreme, though. And I feel like it's like borderline, you know, or maybe abusive because if again, if that was your romantic partner and they were saying that, you would be very troubled. And I, I think that, you know, that analogy only goes so far. And obviously parenting is a different relationship than an equal partnership. But at the same time, do you want to accustom your kids to that level of surveillance in any of their relationships? I mean, the kids are opting into a lot of geo-tracking with their friends. And I, I find the Snapchat or like 360 with friends also can lead to a lot of hurt feelings. I cannot understand why they do it. Like, why do they do this? Put themselves in circles and be like, oh, look, Audrey and Kara are together and they haven't invited me. Like, I couldn't handle FOMO. that. There's so yeah, much that would be hard. That is rough. I agree. I would feel the same way. I I mean, I find even Facebook and Instagram can lead to that. And that's not usually real time location shares. You know, my friend group is mostly posting after, but I'm still like, wait, you all went to a play. And sometimes I'm even like not home. You know, I travel a lot for my work. So sometimes like I couldn't have been there, but I still feel bummed out. 
But it's interesting. So I feel I would feel that way. But I talked to my daughter about this and she assures me she doesn't feel that way. She's like, oh, yeah, they're they're hanging out. That's cool. What was what that. was the result of your research? Overwhelmingly, were kids okay with that? Like you, you were saying they're opting in. So are they overwhelmingly okay with that? They say they're okay, but they're not all okay. I mean, I would say, you know, they feel like they don't want to be invisible. They don't want to take themselves off the snap maps because they don't want to sort of be dead to the world. They want everyone to know where they are, even if they're sitting at home, which most kids most of the time are sitting at home. I talked to one teenager on a Saturday night at his house and most of his friends were home at their house. It wasn't like everyone was at a party. But he was just like, it does make me feel good just knowing what everyone's up to you. And oh, look, somebody's out of town and someone else is visiting family in Chile. And I was like, wow, that is so intense that you can see that. But I, as a privacy loving Gen Xer, I do find it disconcerting. I, yeah, I, I'm like on the fence about it. I, I'm still looking to see what the effects are on my kid and how it's affecting me as well. But it's interesting the tech available for sure. Tell us more about your book. One of the things I really was so excited to learn was how much kids are sharing about themselves. And that makes a lot of parents really nervous. But I think kids are making the world better. So when they share about experiences or neurodiversity or mental health or experiences, you know, with sexism and racism or when they share their identities along the gender or sexuality spectrum, I think that's a really positive thing. And I think it does make parents nervous because they're like, oh, you can never take that back or will somebody bully my kid because of something they've disclosed? But kids tend to be pretty thoughtful about who to disclose to and when. I'm not saying that's not a risk, and but because kids are disclosing, they're changing the culture, right? We are going to live in a culture where people are more open about these issues because kids are sharing about them, and that's the new generation. And I think it's an incredible time to be a young person, and it's a very difficult time to be a young person. Like I don't think all of these things necessarily make our lives easier, but there is a new sense of community for example, of kids with marginalized identities. And and online is a, a profound space for Discord, Instagram, et cetera, TikTok for kids to find and connect with one another. That's so exciting to hear because I also am noticing with this generation that they share all the time. And I feel that that even gives us adults permission to share more all the time without that fear of judgment of being the oversharer because the kids are doing it. They're rubbing off on a really good way. So, Deborah, thank you so much for joining us here again on the podcast. I absolutely love your work and what you do. And I'm so excited for you to have this new book coming out. Thank you again. It's been great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your stories from your families. It's helpful for me to hear some good stories about Life360. And I love I love that it's giving you all occasions to also talk with one another and, you know, connect. It's really cool. And uh, I'm glad you're a Ms. Marvel fan as well. It's fun to know. Yes, to Miss Marvel. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Take care. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wannabe Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So in the episode, we talked about how there were actors who were older than what they played on TV and those representations of teenage dumb. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and how it's just ridiculous yeah. now. How people are like in their yes. late 20s playing 15. Yes. Yeah. So I had to look this up, the Saved by the Bell thing. And you were totally right, Brie, that Saved by the Bell, they were their characters' ages when pretty, they or were pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close, like a year older, maybe, or a year younger. Like they were real, real close in age. Yeah. And so I'm like, which one was it? And you mentioned that 70s show. Right. That 70s show, a lot of them were older, except for Mila. I forgot about Steven again. Mila Kunis. Yes, she was the one who was actually her character's age, but like I think, and the majority of them were older. Well, I think the one that takes the cake is Beverly Hills and I don't know. I have the ages ready at the start of filming. At the start, that means like they were not seniors in high school yet. This was the start. Okay, yeah, because they were supposed to be sophomores, I think, in high school. Go yeah. on. So the closest in age, Shannon Doherty was 19. Jenny Garth was 18. Okay. Tori Spelling was 17. Okay. Okay. Pretty close. Kind of close. Jason Priestley was 20. Luke Perry was 23. Brian Austin Green was 17. Okay. Ian Ziering, 26. And Gabrielle Carteris was 29. Oh, I remember. I've heard a lot about how she was. It was hard for her because she was so much older than everybody else. So, oh my God. Yeah, she was almost That's 30. That's insane. Playing a high schooler. But I do... Like, it makes sense when you go back and you look at the show. Their characters, Brian definitely looked young compared to the others. But it's interesting how that's been going on so long. Because, like, that's from our childhood. I was a teen when that show came out. And I remember watching it. And then now I'm watching stuff on Netflix with my daughter. What was the one about uh, Outer Banks? And I'm like, five minutes into the first episode, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I'm like, these are nowhere near teenagers. This is not what teenage life is like. Now I have to look up Outer Banks. I love that show, but you you better believe that is nowhere near what teenage life is right? like. Right? And my daughter, just she can't even yeah. watch it. She's like, this is too like mature for me. Because <laughs> it kind of is. My daughter would be the one trying to be like, oh no, I I, I know everything they're talking about. What? They're just, they're immature on that show. <laughs> would be my oh my gosh. I had no idea how yeah. old they were. How old are they? Out. Okay. So Chase Stokes, who plays John B. 30 years old. 30 years yep. old as a high schooler. He's older than Gabriel Carteris was in 90210. 
It's crazy. Madeline Klein. Yeah, so these, who plays a 16-year-old, 26. Isn't that insane? So these teens nowadays, we're just not even teens, these kids in general, have a very skewed perception that they're looking at. Because, I mean, you got to admit, you and I, even as teens, we saw things on TV and in magazines, and we're like, oh, I want to be like that. And our kids are seeing these things that are just unrealistic. The outer it's just, Banks characters are older than 90210. And I always held 90210 as that unrealistic teendom. But now it's happening more today than oh, it was. I'll have to show back you then. more. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're like, let me open the rabbit hole for you, Joanne. Yeah. 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 Look up Euphoria. I have not Look watched up, that show um, yet. George and Georgia. Oh, I Ge- Georgie that. and Georgia. I forgot that one. I bought, yeah, they're all like, nope, nope, nope. But it, I was really excited to talk to DeVore about this stuff because, yeah, it's recently only come up with my kids about the whole social media thing and them wanting me not to post things. So, like, it's funny because I feel that pressure that first day of school, everybody was posting these back to school pictures mm-hmm. and my kids did not want them posted. I pretty much and I feel bad about this now. I coerced them into letting me post it. And then when my and my daughter didn't ask to see the picture. But when she did see what I posted, she's like, oh, my God, that's a horrible picture of me. And I'm like, OK, your brother is blurry and out of focus. You're smiling and like a tilted head. You look cute. But really? So, yeah, it's just it's funny how that works. And I and I see my Facebook memories. and I see these cute videos and pictures. and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love that time. But yeah, I mean, Devorah brought up a good point that like that's not I mean, that is my history, but it's not my life. That's their life that I'm putting out there on blast. I did the same thing. This school year, I posted their pictures and they were less than excited. And I talked them into it with, oh, it's going to be on memories. So it's definitely something I'll think about next time. I will, however, do the parent picture. If they refuse to do it, I will just be taking that one picture I put of me and Josh on there. And sometimes Josh didn't even want to be in that parent picture. It'll just be me, Brie. I'll just be like, first day of school. (laughs) Like happiness on my face. Because the kids are going back. Oh, geez. They can't stop that. That's interesting. Mm -mm. Can't stop that. That is my own experience. I feel like I'm hearing Journey in my head right now. Can't. Don't stop believing. Okay. But if it is, but anyways, like if we are posting these pictures as a celebration of our own achievements, why don't we just post ourselves as a celebration of our own achievements? That is a very, very good point. It is like I survived another summer. I survived another first day of school. Mm-hmm. Did it. I'm so proud of my kids getting older. Next time, next year, we need those blackboards that kids hold in front of them. Be like, I have a 11th grader and 6th grader. I like margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) I could do that. We should. We should. We need to start a a mama movement with that, which again, I'm going to put Easter egg for y'all. Listen for that one in October. (laughs) It's like you could tell the days we film podcast episodes. If you like really go back and piece them together, you'd be able to see. Also, we're wearing the same clothes. So you could tell from there, too. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Until next time, remember the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by.
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.